0: Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I've got a great show for you today. Dr. Alex McFarlane is going to be joining me in just a minute. And then Dr. Tim Muhlhoff will be uh, coming on talking about his upcoming book that he's got uh, happening in December. And it's going to be uh, a fascinating talk with him too. So that's what's ahead in this hour. I'm in the book of Jude and I'm anxious to talk to Alex about this it says in verse 3, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. That's something I want to try to pick Alex's brain about today. You know Alex, is a regular guest on the show. He's a author and speaker and apologist and has just recently put out a brand new book, uh, about the assault that's happening on America, Alex. Welcome back to the show. Oh, thanks, Bill. Good afternoon. Thank you. Um, so this verse out of Jude, uh, when we talk about uh, contending for the faith that once for all entrusted to God's holy people, what do you? What is your take on this verse?
1: Oh well, I, I do love this verse. You know, um, in terms of apologetics, which is the defense of the Christian faith, when I when I read that about. Um, the exhortation to contend earnestly for the faith, uh, I, I think it means that we're to present, explain, and even if need be, defend the gospel. And we're, we're to be ready and consistent and proactive and effective and persuasive. I mean, I know the Holy Spirit draws people to Christ, but uh, to contend for the faith means to stand up for what we believe. Mm -hmm. Now, in your new book, The Assault
0: on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late, when you talk uh, to younger people today and you talk to them about uh, salvation and what the Bible teaches, do you find that they are more easily triggered when it comes to uh, what you are saying? I mean, I remember back uh, years ago, you would sit down with somebody and pull out the four spiritual laws and they would be, this is great.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I will say this among millennials and younger. And and Bill, I really I love young people. I love talking to young people. Um, you use the word "triggered," which is a really good word because um, you know there are some things. If you mention Christianity, I mean, in a way, for kind of the hyper secular, the the militantly secular, say thirty and younger the word Christianity can be a bit of a loaded word. So here, here's what they'll they'll often say. Um, they might try to object to the Christian gospel based on what they think is their view of science, mm. or they might try to object to the Christian faith based on what is their um, perceptions about some things of history. For instance, if you say, well, you know, God, e- even in the midst of COVID, God is in control, and I'm going to pray for you well well people will quickly tweet back to me oh god is going to rescue you 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 know your big imaginary you know daddy in the sky is going to come down and you know do things for you uh or they'd say oh so you're a christian so i guess you're okay with all the killing during the crusades the salem witch mm-hmm. trials and racism so a lot of people for instance and this is kind of a, a little meme or a glib soundbite atheist will send to me, they'll say, isn't it enough to view a flower garden and just b- appreciate that it's beautiful and you don't have to believe that there's fairies and goblins underneath? <laughs> and the, the the assumption is that if you believe in God or if you're a Christian, the, the assumption, which is wrong, but they assume that you believe in in a world of goblins and ghouls and fairies, and you believe in this crazy supernaturalistic cartoon of reality, or you must be um, a closet racist who wants to subjugate and exploit people. And of course, none of that is true. To your question, when Jude chapter 1 verse 3 says, you know, contend for the common salvation the faith once delivered to the saints, Bill for one thing this faith we have is rooted in historical reality second Peter 1 16 through 21 there really was a Jesus who walked this earth there really was a Jesus who left behind an empty tomb confirming who he was and what he taught and it while we believe by trust or faith it's a faith absolutely justified and and rational because it's rooted in reality and um it does take a little bit of of thought and listening to unpack the myriad of objections that are machine gunned at the church nowadays mm-hmm. but it's it's not a myth or a legend the christian faith is reality and god invites all to know him by putting their trust in his son jesus
0: so a great lesson and great reminder for all of us is to use both of our ears to listen and to hear people out when they uh, dialogue with us, because they they do have something to say. And I think once they feel that they are being heard and listened to, they may be more willing to, to listen back. I mean, but there are all kinds of trigger words. I mean, Christian is one of them. Evangelical is one of them. There are all kinds of things that people will quickly uh, reduce you into a category.
1: Yeah, yeah, they will, and and let me let me say a word to to your listeners that um, I think evangelism in the twenty first century has got to be spelled T I M E time. time. Mm-hmm. Um, great You point. know, they, they, a relationship has got to involve trust, honesty, respect, and so you mentioned the four spiritual laws. You know, Bill Bright Campus Crusade, mm-hmm. which I mean, great, great, great ministry, but. There there was a day when, in American life, you could sit down with somebody and say, look, you know, let me show you from the Bible, Romans 3.23, all have sinned. You know, right. Romans five eight, God demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But nowadays, it seems like things are just so volatile and, you know— And I say, hey, let me invite you to church. Church? Church? Oh, so I guess you must be okay with (laughs) pedophile priests. Mm, Wow. No, no, I'm just trying to tell you about Christianity. Oh, so you you must be okay. You know, Christians, enslaved people, and there's like... and, And pop media, a lot of talking head pundits, and militantly secular education have done this, Bill we're to the point where uh, a a secular machine, media, entertainment, education, has so conditioned generations of of young adults that if you pull out any verses or spiritual laws or Christian terminology, I mean, they've instantly got a knee-jerk reaction. And I think the only way to communicate Jesus and overcome the buzzwords that really do trigger woke activists we're gonna have to build relationships and it takes time but it's very enriching i i I really think that the the tipping point where people begin to open up comes very quickly I, i have seen visceral angry activist level skeptics begin to open up and and share their heart and be receptive to the gospel when some time, some listening, some love is invested in having a meal together or many meals together. Because, cause Bill, people are lonely. I'm, well, I'm going to say, you know, especially young people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my wife and I, I'm not that old. I mean, at least I, maybe I'm flattering myself. <laughs> I'm, f- I'm 56. You know, I still ride motorcycles and climb trees and uh, you know, my wife says I'm a 56-year-old teenager, and maybe I I don't have sense enough to realize that I am north of middle age, I guess, you know. But here's the deal. A lot of kids come around us, they're like, I, I think they're looking for a daddy, mm. you know? Interesting. And um, I really think a lot of young adults are very, very lonely. I think they've they've not always felt like they could trust grown-ups and maybe they what memories they do have of authority figures have not been pleasant and and i'm telling you if you're willing to walk along with people break bread together fellowship and trust uh... is established they will listen and receive the gospel that you're trying to convey to them Alex, uh, how do you um What do
0: you think about people outside of the family of God when it comes to um, processing and understanding evil?
1: Mm, That's a good question. Um,
0: How do you reconcile evil in the world if you don't know Christ and you don't understand good and evil?
1: Well, some deny that there is evil, and then others say, okay, there is evil, but God must have willed it. And, you know, Sam Harris is an atheist, and I read a quote this morning where Sam Harris says, you know, either God could fix the world and he doesn't, or God would like to fix the world and he can't. So either way, God must either be, you know, calculatingly evil or God is unable. Well, no, there's another option. Maybe the world is like it is because God did make everything good. Man has moral Capacity, man has free will; man chose to sin, and God has responded to man's sin in a way that will see here's here's the the long game what God is doing. God through Jesus has made a way for evil to be vanquished, lost people to be restored to God, but it didn't compromise God's holiness or man's free will. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of us from Earth might say, well, if I had made the world, it would be different. Well, yeah, maybe so, but we're not God. We're humans. But what God has done, He has made a way for us to legitimately have a relationship with our Creator. And and let's just be honest with ourselves. When we lament the evil in the world, let's not forget to own up to the evil in our own life. Yeah,
0: that's where it should start.
1: Uh, uh, sin in the world is a bad thing sin in my heart is a bad thing. So if the world is tainted with sin and I'm part of the world, that means that I'm part of the problem. Mm. And therefore, I need Jesus.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that observation, Alex. Let me take a little break. Dr. Alex McFarlane is my guest. He's written probably 20 plus books. His most recent one is called The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Back with Dr. Alex McFarlane, my guest. He's a regular on the show. I just love Alex. And he's written a book called The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. You know, earlier in this discussion, Alex, you had mentioned about how the uh, loneliness has crept into the lives of so many people. And with the pandemic, there's more and more people feeling more and more isolated and they get alone with their thoughts. And those are often are not good. And it leads to all kinds of uh, uh, problems. And yet Christ can come in and provide comfort and joy and contentment like no one else. Um, and I want to encourage listeners, especially as we're coming up with the, on the weekend, and uh, I pray that they're finding that comfort, that fellowship, and that intimacy with Christ. Because what else is there?
1: Well, oh, yeah, and you know, um, I want to speak to that—the uh, loneliness and sometimes the uh, lack of direction in the lives of some young people. But you know what? In in giving the church, the local body of believers, you know, in the in the Great Commission, Matthew twenty eight, eighteen through twenty, where Jesus is about to ascend back to heaven, and he says, "Go into all the world and make disciples." And then, you know, First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus are often called the pastoral epistles because there's so much in there about the leading of the local church and hebrews 1025 here's a verse that we've heard a lot during these months of covid hebrews 1025 says do not forsake assembling yourselves together as the manner of some is and many uh, take that verse to mean that we're supposed to go to church and i and i agree But here's my point uh... the church is such a wonderful thing in in all stages of life but especially even among the elderly um uh, my wife uh for the first about 7 or 8 years of our marriage she was part of a medical practice that was involved in gerontological medicine which is among the elderly you know and one of the key things about you know um especially like if somebody is is um a widow or a widower they've lost their spouse a lot of people they find themselves you know past retirement, they're getting older, even getting elderly. The kids are gone, one of the spouses is passed, they're alone. And so one of the best ways to stave off, you know, dementia is socialization. And I think how merciful the Lord has been to give us the church, because, you know, having been in 2,000 churches to preach, Bill, so much of all local churches are are kept afloat by wonderful older people. Hmm. I, I've been in churches where there'll be, you know, some retired man who, you know, paints the, the trim work and keeps the gutters cleaned and there are older ladies that make food to bring to shut ins and they'll get up the shoeboxes at Christmas for Samaritan's purse or they'll have a clothes closet. And church is a beautiful thing because at many stages of life you know obviously spiritual growth the Bible but there's socialization there's relationships there's encouragement there's you know uh, people get a call hey you weren't at church Sunday you doing okay can we help you do anything and the church is a wonderful wonderful blessing and I know it's it's hip and it's chic to just rip up on the church and I think many think Christianity and churches are, you know, subversive things that we'd be better off without. But there's there's a, an atheist, I'm not going to quote him because I don't want to give him PR, but one of the atheists um, of the last 10 years wrote a book and said, you know, you've got to admit, the church does immeasurable amounts of good. And so I, I think really our nation is in the process of trying to cut itself loose from god morality and yes the church and if the church were gone i mean it's a bad enough world as it is but you close up three hundred and forty five thousand churches that that have soup kitchens look after older people um, it's going to be a a far bleaker america without the church than it is with the church
0: You're so right alex and you know that generation that older generation in the church right now they they built their lives on being together with each other i mean Amen. there's a generation now that you can see two people sitting at a restaurant and they're both looking at their phones I'm thinking, oh, well, l- don't, th- don't you have company in front of you right now
1: <laughs> exactly Um bill uh... on tuesday of this week um... for one of our programs with you know truth for new generation ministries we do a lot of web streaming and we create a lot of content. So I interviewed a psychiatrist from Roanoke, Virginia, a born again Christian, um, not not merely a counselor but a you know a a credentialed psychiatrist and he was talking to me about millennials and younger that sociologists often call digital natives because you know they've never known a world that wasn't just immersed in screens, computers, Wi-Fi just on screen all the time and here's the phrase he used he said that we're we're really creating a cultural autism hmm. now this particular psychiatrist has written a book about how you know you hear pixelation when things are buffering and the screen gets all pixelated for a moment he said we're we're living pixelated lives and that oddly enough social media is making us less social Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the screens and all. Here's what he said. He said, these kids that are just wedded to their screens, or they have the affect of my patients that have autism. And in terms of flat affect, um, not um, appropriate levels of emotions or social cues. A lot, a lot of times inability to converse extemporaneously, make sentences, and look, I'm not trying to beat up on young people, and I'm not not trying to just, you know, be too critical, but we are letting the devices that we've created ruin our lives.
0: I know. They're, that generation, Alex, they, you know, they they assembled, they got together, and I I I love telling the story of my aunt who, you know, she had a key to her front door. She didn't know where it was, but it would be mm-hmm. a very typical for two or three of her lady friends to swing by her house completely unannounced, knock on the door, no answers. So they'd let themselves in, brew a cup of uh, brew, uh, brew a pot of coffee, and sit around her dining room table waiting for her to come home. Yeah. And then when she that, came that, home, she was delighted they were there.
1: Yeah. Yeah that that was the neighborhood uh when I was a kid and I mean I grew up in the south but we went on vacation um we were gone I don't know 8 or 9 days and mom and dad didn't lock the door of the house <laughs> yeah I I mean cuz it was just you know um I, I think it, it was just it was a different world I know people might find that hard to believe now now at this point in the conversation if I'm at a university they'll say um, and by, by the way, to caricature your person's position, to be really sarcastic, you know, is, is a type of um, attempt to, if you're doing a debate, there's a lot of ways to try to misrepresent your um, opponent's position. But if I talk about the back when you saluted the flag, when the Ten Commandments were posted mm. on the, the schoolroom wall, you know, somebody will say, Oh, well, I suppose you want to go back to the Ozzy and Harriet era. I suppose you want to go back to the fifties and Jim Crow laws in the South and racism and all that. No, but but I will say you, you've got to admit it was a better America when ninety percent of kids grew up under the same roof with their biological mom and dad. Mm-hmm. It was it was a better America when the Ten Commandments was posted in every bank, in every classroom, and the the worst problem teachers had to worry about was maybe chewing gum stuck under the desk mm-hmm. rather than weapons. Do you oh. know what? I actually, I mean, people are going to find this crazy, but growing up in the South in the, in the 70s and 80s, I graduated high school in the 80s, okay, we had show and tell, you know, I remember... Um, one birthday I got, I got a kind of a hunting knife, about a five or six inch long knife with a sheath and I, you know, carried it on my Boy Scout campouts, taking my knife for show and tell, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember one of my friends taking his BB gun for show and tell and he'd gotten a BB gun and, oh my goodness, nowadays, you know, if a kid brought a knife or a BB gun to school, they, you know, the... It would be the end of an era for that student, but a beginning of a new one for attorneys all over town. Uh, we're a country that we've abandoned God and morality, and therefore we've got a, a combination police state, anarchy. Mm-hmm. We need we need God.
0: Alex, so nice to have you on the program today. Thank you for uh, being with me and my listeners. His new book is The Salt the Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late, Dr. Alex McFarland. Thank you, Alex, and have a great weekend. God bless you, Bill. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Faith Radio. Yep. You can also head over to alexmcfarlane.com to learn more about Alex. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Tim Muhlhoff is going to be joining me. It's going to be an interesting discussion. Be right back. We are back. I'm excited to uh, bring Dr. Tim Muehlhoff onto the program. He's got a new book coming out in December called Winsome Conviction, Disagreeing Without Dividing the Church. I would imagine many of us sit uh, and think that the people sitting around us in church share our beliefs. But what happens when some of your personal convictions are questioned or contested by other believers? And then all of a sudden, everything kind of changes quickly. And you might feel attacked, you might feel like uh, other Christians are not agreeing with your convictions, and you're not, ex- you know, you, it's not just a difference of opinion, it's almost like, I thought we had this unspoken sort of understanding that this is what we all think and believe. And so, thank goodness Tim and his uh, writing partner, Dr. Uh, Rick Langer, have put together this book again, called Winsome Conviction, and I can't wait to talk to Tim. Tim, welcome to the show.
2: Uh, it's great to be back, Bill.
0: Yeah, this is like the hottest topic out there right now.
2: <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Business is good for the book.
0: Yeah, I mean, good. I want to say nothing. You just talk until 5 o'clock. That'd be good. <laughs> I mean, it's clearly... Now,
2: let me say... oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead.
0: I mean it's clearly I, can-
2: <laughs> I was gonna say that yeah, I was gonna say that it's not just us who think this is an important topic. The uh, Civility Project has been doing a survey for twenty years asking Americans to comment on civility. Yeah. And they just came out with two thousand nineteen. And so get a load of this. In a time in which we don't agree about anything, ninety eight percent of Americans state that incivility is a serious problem, while sixty eight percent agree it's reached crisis levels.
0: Wow. Okay, so you think it's hard to, you know, have conflicting convictions with people outside of the church. Sure, that's difficult, that can be challenging, but when it starts to happen within the church, it even gets uglier, doesn't it?
2: Oh, it can, because we add the complicating element of, this is what the Bible says. Right. So uh, my view is biblical. And I've rooted it in what Jesus says in the New Testament, and thus, it, it, you're not only wrong about this issue, you're unbiblical. And that's a pretty strong accusation to level against a fellow Christ follower.
0: Mm-hmm. Tim, can't we look at the New Testament and see quarreling all over it, though?
2: Oh, yes. The New, Ter- New Testament Church wrestled with this deeply, Um Uh, In speaking to the church at Corinth, he says, I I hear that there's quarrels uh, among you, that you're taking each other to court. (laughs) And and he said, this really ought not to be the case. And so Paul, everywhere, doesn't just talk about content, Bill. He talks about the relational level of communication. He talks about the fact that how you say it is just as important as what you say in New Testament language, particularly Apostle Paul.
0: So it seems, uh, Tim, that there's more of a tendency with social media and the cancel culture that if you don't agree with somebody, you might just, you know, pick up your ball and go home and go, that's
2: it. Yep, absolutely. Go back to that survey. Eighty-seven percent of Americans no longer feel safe in public places sharing their opinion. So, Bill, we've got to get away from this at a time in which— As Americans, we need to talk about issues of race, sexuality, gender. Um, We have lost the ability, honestly, to talk to each other. And again, to go back to the debate that we all watched, and almost universally, uh, all Americans said that debate, that was not good. That that was really hard to watch. And uh, I think we can see a groundswell, a little bit, of Americans looking at that debate and saying, we've got to do better but that just isn't going to work. If our two top leaders literally cannot talk to each other, then we've got to do better. And here's where I think the church has a great opportunity to be a model for that.
0: Oh, Tim, you must say more, because I love, what, I love yeah. where you're going with this.
2: Yeah, so here's what I say to my students. I say to my students two things. Jesus says, my followers will be known for this, And then here's the second most important thing I'm ever going to say. And I said to my students, okay, fill in the blanks. What is it that will identify believers, Christ followers, and then what's the second most important thing Jesus ever said? The first one is, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said the peacemakers, they will be known as the sons of God. And then second, the second most important thing Jesus ever said is love your neighbor as yourself. But then I say to my students, what was the first? And they all say, love the Lord with God with your heart, mind, and soul. And then I say, Bill, now notice how he introduced the second. He said, the second is just like the first, which means how do we practically love God? We love him by loving our neighbors. So I think today we need to be peacemakers. That's what needs to identify the American church at a time when 98% of Americans say incivility is a serious problem. We step in and we say, are we people of conviction? Absolutely. But the way we share our convictions is qualitatively different from what you just watched in that debate. Mm -hmm. We have certain promises that we make to non-Christians, and we make to each other within the church, that we don't break these promises. And we could go to a lot of places to see what these promises are. But just for a second, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 31. Paul says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Boy, don't miss that. In three different ways, he identifies wrath, Anger and malice, and then he says, "I want you to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ has forgiven you." So, guess what? That's the relational level. And if we adopt that, and the world sees that we are convicted people, uh, but the way we share is one of compassion, civility, empathy, sympathy, then I think not only do we, we win the applause of the Holy Spirit, but then I start. We start to become countercultural, and people will start to listen to us.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Tim, maybe address listeners that watched the debate and felt just completely tainted and soiled by the whole thing, where they're just full of maybe some anger and some and some horribly unpleasant feelings, and and then move them to the place where they can uh, be peacemakers.
2: boy, that's really, uh, so that's a complex issue. Being a peacemaker doesn't mean you can't be prophetic. Being a peacemaker doesn't mean that, Oh, I don't have any opinions on this and I never say hard. things.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: Right. So here's my one. I want to get your opinion on this bill. Tell me if you, maybe it's pie in the sky and it'll never work. And the fact that president Trump is now along with his wife, uh, COVID positive, there probably won't be any more debates. Right. So, but let's say there was going to be another debate. What do you think about the idea of a nationwide boycott of the debates? Like <laughs> no one watches them. Mm. No one watches them. And the message has been sent, right? You don't need to change your vote for president, right? But nobody watches the debate. I wonder how that would register. I wonder if the two candidates and the two parties would say, wow, wow. That's interesting Mm -hmm. that America just spoke. Both Democrats and Republicans just spoke loud and clear. We're not watching this. It would have been beautiful, Bill, if there would have been a third debate, because then guess what? We would come back for the third debate and turn it off immediately if we get the the first debate. Mm -hmm. So when I say peacemakers, Bill, I don't mean that we can't ever, as Paul says, speak truth, but we do it in love. Uh, so here's what I would say to the people who are deeply discouraged. First, I would say I'm deeply discouraged along with them. Um, second, we need to understand that God's Holy Spirit can speak to uh, both candidates, uh, can convict them. Uh, we need to pray that there'd be people around these two candidates that would say to them, listen, we just can't reproduce that first debate. And at the end of the day, God says, don't tire what's doing good. So even if it doesn't seem like being a peacemaker does anything, know that the Holy Spirit's watching, will affirm you. But I believe the Holy Spirit will use your kindness to turn the hearts of other people. That's what Paul gets at when he says, listen, when your enemy's hungry. I want you to feed him. In doing so, you'll get the Holy Spirit will work upon that person like burning coals, right? So we, I think this is a referendum on our faith, Bill. Is do we believe what Peter says? Don't give an insult for an insult, but give a blessing instead. First Peter mm-hmm. three nine. Yeah, I think this is a referendum on do we believe in the Holy Spirit. Wow, <laughs> that's I do.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about that one, Tim. That's awesome.
2: Because here's what people say. Here's what so we are the insult for insult culture. Mm-hmm. Deborah, Can- Deborah Tannen called it the argument culture. She wrote a prophetic book about 15 years ago. She's a Georgetown linguist. So, Bill, here, here's, what, here's what we wrestle with. And, again, I was on the debate team in college, Bill. So, listen, I love a good fight. I, I love rolling up the sleeves and going at a person. But, but here's what Peter is saying. And remember, again, he says in a different place, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you, but do it with all gentleness and respect. So can we stick up for the Christian perspective inside the church and outside it, but do it with gentleness and respect? Well, here's what we say. I won't be talked to like that. You talk to me like that. I'm talking to you like that. You raise your voice to me. I raise my voice to you. You make fun of my candidate. I make fun of your candidate, right? Mm -hmm. So, but, but that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Speak truth in love. And if you can't do the love part, shut up. It's two sides of the same coin. Paul's not making a distinction between just truth-telling or just love-giving. He's saying they are two sides of the same coin. So I think, that, I think the modern church, we need to really step back and say, are, are we any different than the argument culture today? And, wow. and, if, and Bill, if we're different, I want us to name it. All right, how are you different? how are we different? Um, and then I would love to hear uh, how people respond to that.
0: Mm-hmm. So how do we cultivate, uh, a better understanding and compassion for the people that we're disagreeing with? Cause we, it seems well, like we I'm get triggered of, really fast.
2: Yeah. And we're primed for that. Psychologists would say we're primed for it. Okay. Like, uh, Depending on how much social media you watch, depending on what news program you watch, um, you, you're primed for anger. So <laughs> let, me tell you one interesting, uh, let me tell you one interesting thing, Bill, and then I'll jump in with uh, a suggestion. Okay. Um, so I, I, I'm currently writing a different book, and I was looking at a YouTube clip. And it just – so I was busy writing as the YouTube clip ended, and it bled into another clip that I didn't pick, but it just bled into it. you got to shut off autoplay. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I need to write that down. So um, this was Ben Shapiro. Okay. He was talking about the the tragic shooting in Milwaukee. And let me just say this uh, to all Ben Shapiro fans. I I think I agreed with maybe – 70% 70% of what he was saying. I think he's very articulate. But Bill, the, the anger in which he expressed it, the way he demonized liberals, the way he demonized Black Lives Matter movement. It, it, I just imagine to myself, what if I listen to Ben Shapiro 24-7? What if I listened to him every day? I would approach liberals as if not only they're idiots, but you are absolutely dangerous to this country. So, so we got to be careful what we're listening to because that primes us to have an angry response right away. But, it, but if it's true that we can be primed for an angry response, Bill, then I wonder if we can't be primed for a loving response, right? So, mm-hmm. um, we're we're part of a Winsome Conviction Project. Uh, Biola just started it. It'll run for five years. Uh, we are trying to reintroduce compassion and stability back into our public disagreements. We started a podcast called the Winsome Conviction Podcast. You can find it anywhere you get your podcast. And we did a segment on humanizing thoughts lead to humanizing speech. And so what we did is we flipped a coin, uh, and I got President Trump, he got Vice President Biden, and we went back and researched things that surprised us and humanized both candidates. Now, listen, it doesn't change my vote. But, but learning certain things about Vice President Biden, particularly the tragic death of his son, Beau, and how he carries Beau's rosary with him all the time, how President Trump uh, uh, loved his older brother, Fred, and Fred died of alcohol addiction. That's why President Trump has been so adamant about going after um, the meth. Um, Tragedy that we're seeing in our country today. So these things just—we we went back and forth for the entire podcast. Okay, give me another one. There's another one, and what it did is it didn't change my vote, but it humanized both candidates, it took them from being a caricature to being a person. And I think, boy, that's a great first step. Mm-hmm. These are real life people, and we need to remember that.
0: Yeah, great point. Dr. Timothy Milhoff is my guest, and we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to continue chatting about his book, which is coming out in December, called Winsome Conviction, Disagreeing Without Dividing the Church. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Dr. Tim Mulhoff is my guest, chatting about his book, Winsome Conviction, Disagreeing Without Dividing the Church. You know, I was thinking during the break, Tim, even when you mentioned about Ben Shapiro, um, you know, and you made some comment about, you know, liberals being, uh, what was the word you used? Dangerous. I think that was it. Uh, I, I know that you already probably have generated thoughts of listeners thinking, well, liberals are dangerous. I mean, uh, the human element to this discussion is that We are all poor, blind, naked, wretched, and in need of a Savior, and we should put the cross before everything.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, Are you aware of Tim Keller's excellent piece where he took a look at the uh, Church of Acts and noted what the convictions were and said that he could break those convictions into both Democrat uh, uh, and Republican? Uh, I thought it was a fascinating piece by Tim Keller— Uh, which is to say, are Democrats dangerous? Yes. I I would not be naive in saying no, but so are Republicans. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Both parties are dangerous, Um, and both parties don't have a corner on religion. Uh, Either party has strayed from Jesus's kingdom. And so I love what you're saying is Jesus would say, seek first the kingdom of God. But then, right, we, we need to humanize these individuals. And by the way, let me give kudos to President Trump for a second. So when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, um, I was really nervous. I was like, Mike, oh, please do not attack this woman, right? And he didn't. He, I was very uh, pleased that he said, we lost a giant, a legal giant today. And she was a trailblazer. And I agree with that, even though there are things about Ruth Bader Ginsburg I just flat out disagree. You, you just got to tip your hat to the woman that she fought battles nobody was fighting. And and men benefited and women benefited. She was the only woman at Harvard. And um, she was phenomenal. She got unbelievably good grades. Mm -hmm. She fought fights that we step back and just tip our hat to people. And, and Bill, that's what's not happening today. We don't tip our hat to each other anymore. Right. We don't, we don't look at Vice President Biden and say, well done on a lifetime of service to politics. Mm-hmm. Well done that, that you've given your life to the betterment of this country. See, we don't start that way. We talk about all the things we disagree with him. And that violates a principle from John Gottman, one of the top relational scholars, uh, who says you need to have a soft startup when you talk to a person, not a harsh startup. So when I'm talking to a person who loves President Trump or loves Vice President Biden, I can't start with where we disagree. That's a hard startup. Mm -hmm. A, a, A soft startup allows the conversation to continue. And that's what we try to do in our podcast. Here are some things you can look at President Trump and you can say, my goodness, um, I tip my hat to you on this issue, right? I, I mean, how much the man has given—and we talk about his taxes, right? Mm-hmm. But hey, objectively, that man's given up a ton of earned revenue, and he's not taken the salary uh, that's offered to every president. And so, you know, just stop and you say, okay, well done. Uh, all right, good, good. And, and then think of other things that you can affirm as you move towards disagreement. I think that's one of the ways we can approach these disagreements with Christians and non-Christians.
0: I like that idea, Tim, of a soft startup. That's, um will stick with me. And I was reading some comments that came out by some commentators and, and pundits today, and I found this to be interesting— uh, Rachel Maddow of all people, she's very liberal, of course, on MSNBC and she said, God bless the president and the first lady. If you pray, please pray for their speedy and complete recovery and for everyone infected. The virus is horrific and merciless. No one would wish its wrath on anyone. Mm,
2: well done, Rachel.
1: Oh yeah,
0: that's classy. That's very you know, good. Maybe yeah. there's maybe there's an opportunity for a little bit of a, a break in the and more civility.
2: Yeah, remember, remember that great um, story that was written. This was World War One trench warfare between the uh, French and the Germans, and uh, they, for Christmas they called the truce. Yes, and they actually they actually played a week of soccer. Right, <laughs> um, and, but, and but, ate together, yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great story. And by the way, the only way it was broken is that the commanders got nervous and started to rotate people out of the front line. And they rotated new people in who had no context about the soccer playing or the Christmas celebration. That's how they broke the uh, Christmas truce. So we need to forge those times of celebration. See, I, I think this is what we're missing, though. And I know this is controversial when I say this, and Christians just don't receive it well. But we are American. We are Americans. And then I'm an American Christian. But we're Americans and we, we need to look at people in our neighborhoods, our communities. We need to say, listen, we're in this together. Uh, and yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't expect you to adopt my entire philosophy of Jesus because we're neighbors. I'm going to give a little. You give a little. I'm going to compromise. You compromise because we need to make this community work for everybody right? And, and compromise comes from the Latin, the middle way. Hmm. And here's what I get from Christians is, I don't compromise on anything. I do not compromise on my positions on pro-life. I don't compromise on my views of sexuality. I don't compromise on my views on marriage. I don't compromise anything. And what's that gotten us is that we are now in these colonies that have no conversations with each other. Mm-hmm. And I think as Christians, we step up, we say, no, neighbor love dictates that we find solutions together. And if that means I don't always get my Christian agenda, then I don't always get it. But if we forge these bonds, then maybe down the road I can start to add the Christian agenda. But, but we, we just don't do a good job. And I thought COVID could be it, right, Bill? Mm-hmm. You thought COVID might do it, but we politicized that right out of the gates. Republicans yeah. and Democrats both did it, and now it's divisive. It's not bringing us together.
0: Yeah. We just have a couple minutes left, Tim, but um, there's a, there's the difference between absolutes, preferences, and personal convictions. And that's a lot to chew on in a couple of minutes, but— I yeah. think you were talking about your absolutes. There's some things I will not bend on. And then there's preferences and there's personal convictions. I think it's important that we, uh, we hold on to the absolutes, but also, you know, like you say, make room for discussion with people we don't agree with.
2: Yeah, let me borrow a metaphor from C.S. Lewis we use in the book. Uh, Lewis talked about the hallway of faith. Right? These are things we do not give up on. It is the deity of Jesus, salvation in Christ alone, the resurrection, right? But there's rooms off the hallway. And I think today Lewis would say, you better believe one room off the hallway is Republican-Democrat, is politics. That's a room off the hallway, right? So don't make your room off the hallway the hallway. And that's what we want to do. We want to say, no, 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 it is wrong to be a Democrat. You must be a Republican, and that's part of the hallway. Mm-hmm. And so I think Lewis wanted to keep the hallway, the hallway, which are, those are our absolute truths. And then there are personal convictions. And again, a personal conviction is how do I vote? Uh, we're all pro-life, right? We're all pro-life. But what's, how do you express that? Mm-hmm. Does that mean I have to vote just Republican? Or are there things about the Democratic platform that are pro-life A to Z, not just talking about the unborn? Those are really hard conversations. But we need to have them, but we we got to protect our um, absolutes. Yeah. Uh, Hey, can I mention one thing about the book that InterVarsity is doing doing a special deal? Yeah. So the book is called Winsome Conviction, and if you go to InterVarsity Press' website and put in this code, OFFER21W, so the word OFFER21W, they will give you 30% off a pre-order and ship it to you for free.
0: Nice. Thank you for that offer. Thanks for passing that on. Yeah,
2: Yeah. It comes from University Press. So um, if you're interested in the book, Buy a Thousand for Christmas, we would love it. It'd be a great Christmas present.
0: That's awesome. Tim, (laughs) you always make me think. I appreciate you coming on to the show. And do I have it right that your book hasn't come out yet, but you're already writing another book?
2: Yeah, first week of December, the book comes up, and I'm already writing another book called um, Giving God Credit, Common Grace, and
0: COVID-19. Awesome. We'll look forward to that discussion, too. Have a great weekend, Tim. God bless you and your family.
2: Right. Thank you, Bill. You, too.
0: Yep. Dr. Tim Muhlhoff has been my guest. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to have time with Dr. Carrie Heddington talking about the divinity of Jesus. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.